I'm Daria Rose, and this is The Foodist Podcast, where real people use real food to get healthy and lose weight without dieting. Hello, and welcome to The Foodist Podcast. I'm Daria Rose. Today, I'm talking to Leslie, who is a success story that actually took me a minute to sum up how exactly she's a success story. It's not some obvious, big, dramatic thing. Um, She goes through and tells me a story, essentially, of her life. And, you know, she started dieting at a very young age, sort of grade school, like me, you know, very similar to me. And she said this is a journey she's been on for 45 years. And now she feels happy and healthy and confident. And I mean, that's the goal, right? (laughs) Like for any of us, like you may say your goal is to lose 10 pounds or to fit in a certain pair of jeans or to lift a certain amount of weights or whatever. But like really the goal is a feeling. The goal is to feel happy and confident and healthy. And Leslie has that. And, but I realized after talking to her for a while and thinking on it a bit that her real success here, the reason she feels confident and happy is that she has developed confidence in her process. And that may sound abstract and like not a something that would you would call a success, but I know how hard it is for so many people. The confidence itself, confidence in your ability to become a healthy eater, to become someone who exercises, to you know, just the idea, can I become healthy while I have this family, while I have small children, or while I have this job, or while I live in this town, or while I'm traveling so much for work, that that is alone, like that mindset alone of, I'm not sure I am capable of doing this, is a huge barrier to your success. And it's a tricky thing to overcome, you know, when you think about it, I mean, confidence just doesn't come out of nowhere. You know, like trust in your process isn't something you can will into existence. It's something that develops. And this story with Leslie is that process. That is what you will learn today. You will watch how she she just takes us through her life. And it's just one small problem, one little win after another. And they, sorry, they feel like big problems. Like, cooking. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it, she, she tackles that and then she tackles exercise and then she has a family and then it, she has to kind of start again. And she goes through this whole process. But now, even though she's not 100% where she wants to be, and, and she, she admits that she's still working on developing a strength training habit, for example, as she hasn't figured out yet. But you can hear in her voice, she is confident that she'll figure it out because she trusts her process. And this is so critical and it's a really ephemeral thing to try to put, you know, put your finger on, like, what does that mean to have that confidence? But, but I think Leslie's story will give you a lot of insights there. And it's cool because she also has a lot of, she gives, she goes into a lot of the nitty gritty details in each of the types of problems she faces. And so there's, this episode is filled with tiny little tips and tricks that are super useful um, for dealing with stuff. I, I, I learned a lot from her because she has kids and she is very protective of her own health style. And that's something that's important to me. So I learned a lot about that from her. So that's fantastic. But if you listen to the overall theme of all of the different wins she's had over the past several decades, um, you, you can see the theme of how she developed the confidence in her process. And I think it's a really critical lesson and there's a ton to learn here. So this is Leslie's story. Enjoy. Hi, 
Hey, Leslie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Daria. So happy to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, it sounds like you've been through quite a bit and you have, you have a success story to share with us. Um, that I, I feel like you feel like it wasn't a success story at one point and you sort of come around to that. And so I'd love to hear what you have to share. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is it's just, it's been such a long journey and I come to the place where I think it's, I'm always going to be on the journey and I'm actually excited about that. It's a lifelong journey. Mm. It's not something that I'm worried about you know, like I need there to be an end. I think it's, there's always going to be me shifting my relationship with food and health style and exercise. That's, that's going to be an ongoing thing for me. And is that a new perspective for you? Um, I guess it's a new awareness, you know, it's a new, it's, I guess it's just, yeah, it's more of a new, like, I guess a more new, realization that that's fine, that that's part of the journey. What do you mean by fine? So basically, I recently heard, I I listened to a lot of Tara Brock. I actually found Radical Acceptance through you and I read it and I, it was amazing for me, totally transformative. Oh, cool. Yeah. That is an amazing book. If if anybody's looking for like internal peace and like nothing's really worked, um, Radical Acceptance, it's hard, but it's, um, it's an incredible book by Tara Brock. Yeah, it was amazing. And I listened to her talks, her podcast and her talks. They're Mm -hmm. really wonderful. And she recently told a story about a woman who was a woman who how a woman constantly had to shed her skin. And it's a long involved story. I won't get into it now, but basically how shedding our skin and in in some ways reinventing ourselves is part of the human condition. Mm. And it just really resonated for me. As my body changes, as my mind changes, as my lifestyle changes, as my kids get older, as I get older, et cetera, I'm always going to be needing to tweak and reinvent. And I'm always going to be able to, I, I have a great relationship with food now, ne- better than I've ever had before and with exercise ex- and with the health style. And I feel really good about it, but there's always going to be tweaks I can make and I can always just, it's a practice, I guess, like mindful, like mindful eating and mindfulness in general. I just see it a little bit as a practice. That's really cool. It's almost like you're setting it up as, yeah, like a practice and a journey as opposed to sort of, I, I feel like, especially I, I was definitely like this when I was younger. I felt like if I could just fix this one thing about myself, then I'll be done. Right. Totally. <laughs> like then, I'll, then everything will be fine and I'll be done. Oh um, God, totally. And you're like 23 and like, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And then like, you know, your life changes and you're like, oh, this new challenge. And I guess you're right. It is like sort of a, a, mature, a step in maturity to realize that it's never going to be done. Like this is just how it goes because life unfolds. It doesn't, it's not like an end. Well, and it would be boring if it was done, you know, like you wouldn't be right. learning new things. <laughs> right. or- That's a really good point. It wants to be the same as they were when they were 25 for <laughs> yawn. <Right>. Totally. <laughs> so I think that's, that's the shift and it's, it's a nice shift. And I mean, it feels really good. I think a part of it is that one of the things, one of the themes just in thinking about coming and talking to you is that I think for me, what I think looking back is this journey has for me been a lot about getting rid of limiting beliefs around so many different things 
there's always going to be limiting beliefs, even Mm -hmm. as men, you know, like there's always a new one because it's partly the human experience is for us to have limiting beliefs. I mean, maybe some people don't have, at least for me, that's been everybody has them. Yes. Let me just, let me just stop for a minute and just tell everybody um, what you're talking about, because this is really important. Um, So for those who don't know, uh, limiting beliefs, it's just, it's one way of describing sort of uh, when, when we, when we go through life and when we grow up, we just, we like accept certain things as like how the world works. Like we will say, Oh, you know, whenever it's cloudy in the morning, I should take a jacket. That's like a belief that works pretty well, but not always, <laughs> you know? Um, and sometimes we adopt, uh, these heuristics in our, in our minds at a young age that are, are very helpful at a young age, or they seem to be helpful to us at a young age or in our, in a particular atmosphere in particular context, but then we bring them with us through life and suddenly they stop working. So suddenly you seeing, you know, all spicy food as a threat to your palate, like isn't so fun when you realize you can't travel anywhere that's interesting. (laughs) And it's something sort of, you have to break that limiting belief and open up your, your, like worldview a little bit and accept something a little new. And it's usually not like it completely changes. Usually it's like a a nuance. You add nuance to that heuristic in your mind. This like, you know, you have, maybe you have a black and white idea and it turns a little more gray. Um, And that's part of maturity is like, is I being able to recognize that that limiting beliefs are something that guides your life and you don't know what they are. (laughs) Like that's like one of the craziest things is you don't really realize what's limiting you until you like really do some deep personal work and then, um, and then finding your way around it, you know, finding a way to, uh, break free from, cause sometimes, cause like I said, like sometimes those limiting beliefs have helped you and maybe in some situations they still help you like, or like that context, that thought context, but it can be limiting in a different context and, and you want to choose when to use it and when not to use it because you don't want to be limited by your own mind. Like that's, that sounds terrible. <laughs> so, um, yet we do it to ourselves all the time. So I just wanted to clarify f- for people like what that means. Not that that was clear. I think that was a little abstract, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, for just for people who don't know that, that term, tell me what your success is like. So I grew up in the eighties, um, with in a family of on my maternal line dieters. Like I remember my grandmother dieting, my mom dieted, you know, just dieting was always in my family. It was always in my consciousness for as long as I can remember. And um, (laughs) Welcome to the club. (laughs) Yeah. And then, I don't know, I guess maybe in middle school, definitely in high school, I would say like, say I was 15 pounds overweight. um, And I would, I had just had a lot of issues with food and eating. And I think I had a very disordered relationship with eating and health and food. And I would go through periods of starving myself. And then I would go through periods of binging and I was so unhappy with my body and really, um, it was really hard. I think I spent so much time obsessing over food and being hungry and being mad at myself if I ate too much and, you know, all the familiar stuff that you've heard a million times. It's such a bummer because like when you're that young, like that, like it's it, that like the mentality starts first. Oh, it's so sad when I think back on it. Like it caused it. Like you probably would have never been fifteen pounds overweight or whatever. Even if you, I don't know if you were or not. But like, 
had you not grown up in an atmosphere where you felt like you had to watch your weight and no, watch what you ate? A complete, well, that's like one of the limiting beliefs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we, we, get that, we get the cause and effect backwards. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, when I was in college, I actually tried to get help. I went to the mental health services. I went to a good college. I went to the mental health services and they were like, no, you're fine. Like, you don't need this. And I was like, I really do. <laughs> but wow. I think it was like so good at just like showing the world. I'm so, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then, um, but really inside it was, the, there was a lot of pain and the food issues caused so much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after college, I did get help and, um, I talked to a counselor and that helped me with like the most egregious form of, you know, like of, of some of my relationship with food. Um, and you know, I guess I'm trying, I don't remember all of it perfectly well, but basically from there, I would say, um, you know, I still probably always felt like I needed to lose weight for a long time. And maybe I did even need to lose like five or 10 pounds, but I was never, I was still not really super happy with my body. And I was never extremely overweight or anything. It was always like 10 to 15 pounds at the most. And it still like took up so much of my mental energy. Um, Then, um, and I think some of the things that I realized now that I thought was like, I'm always going to be obsessed with food, or I'm always going to need to, you know, diet, you know, things that, you know, you've written about and talked about. And then um, in my 30s, I, I, another thing was like, I tried a lot of different exercising, exercises and exercise routines. And I never really found one that stuck. I mean, I would do them, but they, it wasn't like passion or love, you know, and I always kind of blame myself versus like, just thought to myself, oh, this is just like, I haven't found the right thing. You know, I mean, I, I love exercising and I love moving. So I now know looking back, like I could have found things, you know, I just, there was probably so much, I was so focused on another thing that I couldn't get to the passion and the love of it. And and by the way, that is what happens. So like I talk about this often when we talk about moralizing food and exercise, like this is what I should do. But basically it's, it's an external motivation versus an internal motivation. When you're focused on the external goal, like body size or whatever, fat, whatever, and you decide that you need to do a certain thing in order to achieve that goal, it undermines any intrinsic joy you would have in that thing. So if it's being active, if it's eating fresh fruit and vegetables, like like when I phrase it that way, those sound like nice things. But when you're focused on like fitting into a size two, all you hear is, I need to go sweat out 500 calories at the gym this afternoon. And also I need to choke down some broccoli so that I don't binge uh, because I'm such a pig. But you framed it that way by making it about the goal and not about the intrinsic joy and like living a rich, healthy, fulfilling life. Right. Which is now what I have, but I was not for a really long time. And, it took and me by a- the way, this story, like already, it's just like, hitting so close to home for me. I mean, the 
the, just growing up with that worldview, always thinking you had to diet, getting into college, trying more things, it getting worse, you know, and then, and then having it like doing the exercise and just having it be a chore and like <laughs> not really like doing it, but not enjoying it. And I just like, that was my life, man. <laughs> like that. And I know that I, we are not alone. I know. I know. It's really, I mean, it's actually interesting because one of the things that I think has helped a lot is, is compassion. And I like in the last few months, like just listening to a lot of the podcasts and I did the mindful meal challenge, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll go back. But, um, I've thought a lot about self-compassion, like, um, one of your guests talked about that I thought was so powerful. And I was thinking, I've been thinking so much about like myself as a younger, as a girl and a teenager and a younger person. And, um, I feel so much compassion for her now. I really do. I feel like, uh, of course, like you weren't, they weren't doing anything wrong. You weren't trying, you know, it was like, that's what happened. Like you so much, you know, working towards that life view, working towards that challenge, those challenges. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, I almost like teared up a little bit when you said that <laughs> because like, I mean, 100% like looking back on myself and, and that's how I feel not only about poor, sad 17 year old, like 90 pound Daria, but, um, my readers, you know, like I started my blog summer tomato and I, I do what I do because I, I feel so much sadness for the people who are still stuck where I was you know, and, and I, and I, and I know why you're there. It's not your fault. Like, this is like, this is the world we grew up in and it's not our parents' fault. Like they didn't know any better. You know, they were doing their best and yet we suffer for decades through this stuff and blame ourselves and eat horrible food that tastes horrible because we feel like we have to and teach ourselves to hate things we would naturally love. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. Thank you for bringing that up. No, and we spend so much energy on this thing that just shouldn't require negative energy. It was interesting because I heard, um, I recently heard Richard Ford, the author, interviewed on Terry Gross, Fresh Air. And he was like, he was talking about his 17, she was asking him about himself as a teenager. And apparently he like stole stuff and whatever. He was, did things that weren't great. And she said, well, how do you think about that kid now? And he was like, I nod to him. And I thought to myself, I thought about, you know, my 17-year-old, your 17-year-old, my 17-year-old who was like mad at herself for eating when she was starving or whatever it is. And I'm like, I hug you. I embrace you. I want to like nurture you. (laughs) I have such a different, like, and I don't know if, you know, that's been a more recent thing for me, I have to say. And that's, Mm -hmm. and it's also occurred around a time when I had another like major shift in my mindset. But let me get back to the story. Okay. So anyway, in my 30s, I found yoga. And this is actually another just like interesting tidbit because I tried yoga when I was earlier and it was like I couldn't figure out how to do it. And I don't know, the teacher and I didn't connect, etc. I just basically spent the whole class feeling like an idiot. And so I never tried it again. It was something I was always interested in, even though I was never willing to try it again. And then I moved to in, back to New York and I, a friend of mine told me about her amazing yoga teacher. And I went to this other type of yoga class and I tried it and I fell completely in love with it. It was hmm. so, 
it just like it was a di- it was slower. There was a lot of instruction. It really allowed me to understand how to move my body in a different way. Can I ask what kind of yoga it was? Yeah, it was at the time it was called Anusara Yoga. It's a little complicated because there was a lot of politics. <laughs> it's not called Anusara anymore. It's now it's just like basically yoga where they focus a lot on alignment. Okay. I still don't like yoga. So I'm- oh, really? <laughs> well, I, try, I tried a class. I thought maybe because I've been into um, mindfulness lately. You know, the last few yeah. years I've been really into meditation and, and mindfulness. And I thought, well, maybe if I approach – because I always – same thing. Like I took it in my 20s. I was like, ugh. But, but, I, but, but I thought that maybe the reason I didn't like it when I was younger is because I felt like I should have been getting a workout and I didn't feel like I was getting a workout because I was already really strong and flexible. But – so I was like, well, maybe if I go to yoga, like with the mindset that this is like body meditation, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Um, and I went a couple weeks ago and I was like, no, I still hate it. <laughs> but, but you should actually try a bunch of different types and classes because it, okay. it really, I mean, I, I mean, I love yoga. I don't do much of it now because I have two kids and there's just not time for it, but um, I love it so much. It helped me. So, I mean, it's, open so much for me. Um, have you tried Kundalini? Someone just told me that is like a really interesting kind of yoga and it's very mindful oriented. And anyway, I have no idea what I've tried. <laughs> try a few. Cause it's, I tried the sweaty one. That was not good. Oh yeah. No, try one where they like really talk about alignment because okay. that's when you'll get into positions that will make your body feel different. It's not about working out. It's like about creating openings in your body. Yeah. I always, my, I always leave with like painful wrists and shoulders. <laughs> my great. Now my joints hurt. <laughs> no, that's not right. That's not. Yeah. Good. I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> I'll um, try again. Anyway, but even thinking back on the yoga, I recently, I thought back on how much I A, loved it and B, spent so much time comparing myself to everyone else in the yoga class, you know, and what could they do and what couldn't I do? And now when I go to a yoga class now, I'm like, I don't care what they can do. I just care about what I can do. Like, mm-hmm. not that I never compare myself still, but it's just clearing some of that away and realizing this is about my journey and my body. And there's no good or bad necessarily. It's kind of like with the whole moralizing food, right? Like right. some days my body is going to be able to do this. Some days my body's not going to be able to do this. Good analogy. 30s, you know, I still probably... I I had a healthier relationship with food. It was still, I still probably thought I needed to lose weight. I mean, I still up and down on the needing to lose weight thing probably. And just, so then um, I had my first child and um, I had really, really severe morning sickness during my pregnancies. I have two kids and I had really severe morning sickness and the whole time? No. So with the first one, it was for four months. And for the second one, it was for six months. I mean, and I, I had to take Zofran. Like, I couldn't get a glass of water down. Oh, I'm so it, sorry. It was horrible. I <laughs> just, just got through that period. And good, good God, I had no idea. <laughs> it was oh so God. bad. It's like, it's, yeah, I would wake up in the middle of the night to throw up. Like, it was so bad. I, I'm sorry. I, I feel bad for anyone who <laughs> experiences it. <laughs> like, you're like, a, you're like a walking zombie. Yeah. Um, and what happened is in both time, oh, okay, so after, during my first pregnancy, so I actually lost weight at the beginning of the pregnancy because I literally could not consume any food or keep any food down. And then in the second part of my pregnancy, 
I gained so much weight, Daria. And I was like, what's the matter with me? Why can't I control myself? What's, you know, like all of those old triggers kind of came back and all that old, like negative thinking about myself kind of came back. And a lot of the shame around food kind of came back. Hmm. And I now realize I'm like, of course, I gained a lot of weight after that. I had been completely starved and like for and, and like trying months. to grow a baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was yeah. fine. It was not a big deal, but it like just, you know, kind of sparked off a lot of bad feelings. Mm-hmm. And then um, so anyway, I had my first child and um, I can say that you know, it was definitely challenging to figure out how I wanted to be a mom and to figure out how to take care of myself and getting the breastfeeding, everything. It was, it took me a while and there was not a lot of taking care of myself, you know, a lot of just eating whatever, not really exercising, et cetera. And then, um, when she was two, I got pregnant again with my second child and again, had such severe morning sickness, and then again, gained a lot of weight. Um, and then after she was born, it both times it took me a while to kind of lose the weight. And I don't even really remember what I did the first time. And I don't even remember if I lost all the weight the first time. It's all kind of hazy, that part of my life. But um, when my youngest daughter was two, I started getting chronic tonsillitis and strep throat. So basically every six weeks I would have 103 fever and the most searing pain in my throat and tonsils for several days. Oh my God. Yeah. And I mean, it could have happened eight to 10 times easily. It was horrible, (laughs) horrible. And I went to all these ENTs and several of them were like, you have to get your tonsils out. And one was like, one was a 40-year-old woman, and she said, you would have to drag me into the operating room as a 40-year-old woman to get your tonsils out. <laughs> it's so painful. And so I really did not want to do that. And at the same time, I just realized I was like, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm, again, like 15 pounds overweight. I don't feel good about myself. I just, something needs to change. So I did two things. One is I went to Weight Watchers and what Weight Watchers helped me do, and I sort of found Weight Watchers and um, Summer Tomato around the same time. So I sort of then quickly switched over to Summer Tomato. But the thing that Weight Watchers did help me do was realize how many vegetables I should be having, like, or realize how few vegetables I was having at mm. the time. You know, I just was not eating good enough vegetables, you know, or, or fruits. Like, it just wasn't, fu- I wasn't fueling my body in a good yeah. way. Yeah. You know, it's funny. People don't realize how yeah. little vegetables that you like one serving of vegetables a day is more than most people eat. And I eat like eight. (laughs) (laughs) No, me too now. And I I'm so happy. I love them. But so that was sort of transformative for me. And then, um, this friend of mine was like, you know, if you want to lose weight, I mean, I don't, I know that's not totally true, but she's like, you, you have to exercise. You have to like do things to make it happen, you know? And I was like, oh yeah. And a friend of mine, so I told you I was really into yoga and I had done a little yoga after my first daughter was born, but yoga is hard with the kid. It's, I find it, if you're not going to do it in your house, it's a 90 minute class. That's just like a lot of time. I work. It's like, I don't, can't really regularly go to 90 minutes. The classes, classes are so long. 
Yeah. That's not a reality in my life. You know, as much as I enjoy it, I'm not going to regularly prioritize going to spending two hours to go to yoga. Right. And I can't do a home practice, even though I've tried. So I had a friend who told me she was going to start running. She was using this couch 5k app to run. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Even though, again, a limiting belief, I thought I was a terrible runner. I thought I had a body that wasn't a runner's body. I thought my body was not meant for running. Because I had run when I was in high school and I had PS undiagnosed exercise-induced asthma. So obviously I wasn't that great of a runner. Um, Now I have an inhaler, so it's fine. But so this is actually interesting and something that I've realized. Like A lot of times it takes me more than one try to get something right or Mm. to make something fit. So I did the couch to 5k, but I didn't actually follow it. I was like, I can do more than this. I'm in better shape than this. And then I got hurt. So then I stopped. And so then, but, but I still felt like I need to exercise, not only just for my body, for weight, but also just for my mind, I was realizing I needed that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted the alone time you know, in my head, et cetera. And so yeah, I tried it. Like, I, the people, like, that, like exercise is a mental health self-care event for me, 100%. You know what I told my daughters? Because my daughters will sometimes be like, please don't go running, mommy. Please don't go running. And I said to them, you know what, girls? You know those voices in your head that say mean things to you? I have those voices too. And when I go running, those voices stop talking to me. Hmm. You know, like that's, that's a lot of why I run more than anything now, but it took me a long time. So anyway, I decided again to try the couch to 5k and I followed it to a T and, um, I now, that was like almost four years ago, three or four years ago. And I now regularly, I run three times a week, four and a half miles. Amazing. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. It's like one of my favorite things to do. (laughs) <laughs> cool. That's great. And it, I like what you said, how you have to try things a few times. Cause it sounds like you tried yoga and didn't like it and then tried again and, and, and liked it. And then when that didn't fit anymore into your lifestyle, you went, you tried, you went back to something that you hadn't had success with before and changed. Yeah. And to go back to like what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, I mean, I think it was really hard for me when my lifestyle switched, you know, when I became a mom to figure out like, okay, well now the yoga is not going to work. It, I'm looking back, it took me many years. I don't think it would take me this long again because I have a lot more tools now and I'm much more conscious of it, but it took me many years to figure out a new thing that would work for me. Mm. You know, I was like, okay, well that's not it. What do I do now? Is it like sort of pulled the rug out from under me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This is something that comes up a lot uh, with with people I talk to and coach is there when something doesn't work, the default a lot of the time, especially for women, is, well, it's my fault because I didn't feel like it and I should have made myself do it anyway. And so I have no one to blame but myself. Like it's not the, the exercise's fault. <laughs> like it's not the, the vegetable's fault or whatever. Like you blame yourself and then give up. But the reality is like if you didn't feel like it, you didn't feel like it for a reason that's probably a good reason. Like you were probably tired or you probably have two kids to take care of or, <laughs> you know, there's there's a reason. Like your your job doesn't let you get home until a certain hour. You know, there are things and those are limitations but they don't have to be 
absolute barriers. Like if, if you stop blaming yourself, you can step back a little bit and be a little creative about your solutions. Like, okay, well, I can't do a 90 minute class. That doesn't mean I can't exercise. <laughs> like, you know, like that's like, that's the leap our brains make sort of unconsciously. But if we bring some consciousness to it and awareness to it, like you were saying, like you can figure out that there are other things you can do. Right. No, totally. I mean, and that's even like, as I've, you know, I've been running now for a couple of years and like for a long time, I was only an afternoon runner. I felt like my body runs better in the afternoon, but guess what? Like being an afternoon runner is hard when you have kids. Cause <laughs> I'm, I'm coming home from work and then I'm saying I have to go for a run or like we've had a whole Saturday and then I'm, it's like much easier to go for a run in the morning. And so I sort of, just started running in the morning. And the reason why I didn't like running in the morning is because I don't like running without caffeine. And, but everybody always says, don't run on anything or you'll get a cramp. Like don't drink anything or you'll get a cramp. Guess what? My body actually, I don't run well when I have nothing in my body. I run better if I've had a cup of tea and if I've had a banana or one of those squishies, like that's how I run best. So it's also just having to learn to listen to my body, my experience, not what everybody's telling me. And by the way, it also takes courage to do that little experiment. Yeah, it was, it's been, but, and the same thing with cold weather running. I was like, cause I live in New York and I was like, I hate cold weather running. And then my friend was like, I love cold weather running. And I was like, how come she loves cold weather running? We actually try <laughs> cold weather running. And I realized like, I don't like the first part of cold weather running when you get out and you're cold. So what yeah, it's I extra do, like three blocks. Yeah. And you know what I decided is better for me to wear an extra layer take it off middle of the run and tie it around my waist. It's such a simple solution to something you were like, I could never do that. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm actually now transitioning back into hot weather running. Cause you know, it's, it's getting hot here and I'm like, kind of miss cold weather running. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, and this is by the way, for anyone listening, this is how you break down limiting beliefs. You, yeah. First, you have to acknowledge that you're resistant to something. You know, like, I don't want to run in the morning. I don't want to run. I don't want to, whatever thing that we're like, eh, I don't want to. And, you know, ask yourself, is that, like, why is that true? Like, is it true for real? Or are you making assumptions that are limiting your options unnecessarily? Because like you said, maybe it's not just, you don't like the whole run. You just don't like the very beginning of the run. Right. And that's all, like, that's, that's a huge realization because it's the difference between going and not going and like having a $40, you know, shirt solution to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. it's like, you know, it's like there are like, it, if you can get down to the real reasons besides, instead of just stopping it, like, I don't feel like it, like, well, I don't feel like it because when I'm not warm yet and I haven't started like pumping my blood I'm very uncomfortable. That can be solved with a particular outfit. I'm going to ask my friend who already knows how to do this because she does it all the time and enjoys it. Get a, you know, get a shirt recommendation from her or whatever. Totally. Oh, and, yeah. Or like ask the internet. We have that now <laughs> as, a resource, as a resource. And and try something. And if the first one doesn't work, I'll, guess what? That's not a barrier either. Like try something else. Like I can't tell you how many different pair of workout gloves I've gone through. You know, it's like right. you just, you have to figure out what works for you. And by the way, I don't like working out without workout gloves because then I get callousy man hands and that would make me want to not lift weights, but I don't let that be my barrier. I just found gloves that I like. Yeah. And so really, I mean, I think that's for me been something I've been thinking about. So 
my friend said to me, because I texted her then a couple of times and I was like, I love cold weather running. And she's like, aren't you so glad you love cold weather running? And I said, you know what makes me even happier than loving cold weather running is that I got over my belief that I didn't like cold weather running. Because I was mm. like that when I, I mean, and by the way, it's, I'm not perfect. Like I'm right now, I'm struggling with how to add like strength training to my workouts. Like I just can't, it just feels like it's like a whole new thing, you know? And I'm like, how do I do this? And how do I do it right? And there's so many, feels like there's so many things. And so it's like, it's still, that's when I'm again, talking about like the process is always gonna shift and evolve. Like there's always new things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. And, and, and it's great. What you're basically talking about, I'm just sort of making this up right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to wing it a little bit. It sounds like what we're, we're basically talking about when we talk about limiting beliefs is understanding that your feelings about something are not permanent. Like, I don't like this, like that. And like using that as a barrier when you like the right attitude is I can learn to like this if I have the right attitude and the right tools. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not like the way I'm talking about it now. I don't want anyone to hear this and think it was just always so easy or you know, oh, it's not easy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this no. is like one of the hardest things to do. This is so much, this is me realizing a lot of this in retrospect, you know, and like a lot of fits and starts for sure. You know, I'm not like in any way claiming to be expert on this. I'm just, it, it was, you know, it, there's been a lot, I mean, it's been a long journey. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, it's true. Like stepping out of your, un, out of your comfort zone is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. <laughs> but like the, one of the things that like when, when we talk about learning to, to trust the process, one of the things that happens is when you test your assumptions and question your assumptions and break them down and realize that they're wrong enough times, that's how you start to trust the process. Yeah. You know, you're, you know, it's, it's like, you're like, okay, the first time you try a new exercise that you used to hate, like, you're like, I don't know about this. Like, I don't really think this is going to work. You have to be willing to try something that you don't think is going to work. Um, but, you know, once you have a win where you've like, you know, I totally trained myself to like Brussels sprouts. Like, I actually did this. You can apply the same thing to food. Like, I trained myself to like Brussels sprouts, beets, cucumbers, cilantro, eggplant. Like, I have a list a mile long. Um, yeah. And... The first ones are har the hardest because you don't believe yet that you can change your opinion about something as basic as a Brussels sprout, but you can. And once you realize that you can, it's a lot easier to have an open mind. And so that's where the trusting the process comes in. It doesn't mean you're going to know how to fix the next thing that comes up automatically, but you can have a little bit more faith that you know how to go about testing things until you do. Yeah. And maybe also that you don't have to blame yourself for not like for it not working perfectly. I think that's oh, yeah. like, such a relief. You know, yeah, your feelings are just a data point. Yeah. Stop, stop getting so attached to them. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> if only. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then anyway, so that was, so that's where that was like sort of the exercise part. And I, I, you know, I really do love it. Um, and like I said, I'm now I'm like thinking like, okay, now I need to add in strength training. How can I do this? Like try, and I'm a researcher by nature. So I've been like talking to a lot of people and, you know, we'll see where that goes. But, and then, um, in terms of, I, 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 I sort of switched, you know, I didn't stay on Weight Watchers for, I did have success on Weight Watchers, but then I switched over to sort of, um, to more of the foodist approach. And, um, I, I 
I've kind of always cooked a little bit, but now I, for the past, say, three years and more and more all the time, I cook all the time. Like I really, really got passionate about cooking and figured out ways to make cooking really work in my life. And um, so that's a big, so, so I've really shifted that as well. And I, I personally, I love going to the grocery store I'm and, and to markets and to farmer's markets, et cetera. When they, my kids were little, I got a CSA, you know, a box. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really cool, actually. I did it for a couple of years and I really liked it because it made me, you know, try new gro- new vegetables, et cetera. And I loved all the fruits. But then my husband was like, you still end up at the farmer's market buying so much food. So let's not do the CSA anymore because you like still spend so much Oh, because money. you like going to the farmer's I market. I do. And because I like <laughs> being able to choose what I'm buying a little bit. And I just didn't need the CSA as much anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. But that was really helpful, especially when my kids were young, because it sort of took that made that a little bit effortless. And one of the things I noticed is, and I've noticed along the way, by the way, is like, so say I started cooking in earnest three or four years ago. At at the beginning, I would have vegetables that would go to waste a lot. But that was not uncommon for me because I hadn't really figured it all out. And I would kind of feel bad about it. And now I almost never have vegetables that go to waste because I have so many things that I can do with them if they're not great or whatever. I just see them that they're not going great. Not that I never do, but it's it, that has also been a process for me. And I think I had to sort of be okay with the fact that some of my vegetables were going to go to waste for a while while I was building the cooking habit. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So this is a great example. So you didn't cook that much, but you liked grocery shopping. And so you, then you started cooking more. Is that the right? Um, yeah. I just didn't have as much time for, I didn't prioritize cooking. Okay. You know, when, oh, I was okay. young, when I was younger, I went out all the time because I was very social. Then after my kids were born, I started to cook more, but I also was like trying to figure out my whole groove on the whole working mom business. Right. And, and you're reading summer tomato and you're and like, And then okay, I was like, that. and then I, right. And then I was like, and then I, I can't remember exactly how I started cooking, but I recently was with an old friend of mine and she was like, Remember before when you didn't cook? And I'm like, no, I really don't remember that. I can't even remember what that was like because <laughs> I love cooking. It's such a passion of mine now. And I it's something that I love to do and it gives me a lot of pleasure. And it's actually for me meditative and calm. And by the way, I don't cook fancy foods at all. I, I What I do is I get really good ingredients. And mm-hmm. I almost, I very rarely go out to eat, you know, unless we're like socializing or I bring my lunch every day to work unless I'm meeting someone for lunch. So for me, I feel like I don't spend a lot of money on food out. So I yeah. don't care what I pay. I don't, I don't, I never budget growth. And I never worry about money that I'm spending on actual ingredients. I just get the best. And by the way, you probably are still spending way less than if you went out. Right. And that's, that's <laughs> just like, I don't want to think about it. It's just not, I can't. Yeah, I'm exactly the same way. Totally like I save out. money by grocery shopping. So I buy the best stuff. Me too. And you know what? Then I don't have to put a lot of effort into cooking them because they just are so good. So, but I liked your point about how you used to waste vegetables and would feel bad about it. And then you learned not to. So what was that process like? How did you learn to stop wasting vegetables? Well, I think part of it was learning better time management, (laughs) you know, or like, so for example, I mean, I have a flexible schedule, so it's not like I don't have to be ready to go 
always to my office as soon as I drop my kids off at school. So sometimes, you know, we'll get up, we'll make breakfast for everybody and make lunches. And while I'm making their lunch, I'm sauteing kale, Hmm. you know, just, and then, you know, I'll put some of it into my lunch and then I'll put a lot of it away, you know, for, you know, I'll put the rest away for another meal or I'm chopping up vegetables that I'm going to roast later. So a lot of it is just, I really sneak in cooking and prepping foods whenever I can. And partly because I'm kind of like, I don't know, it's so second nature to me at this point, you know, or like if I see like that I have a lot of vegetables that I haven't used, maybe I'll like cook them all up in a, like a casserole type thing or something, you know, like I'll just figure out solutions for, I just, if I see something's going bad, I'll be like, oh, let me prep this and get it ready. And then I'll either cook it then if I can or cook it later. I love this. So basically what you're saying is that by cooking more, you got better at cooking. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and it's funny because, you know, I obviously I run Foodist Kitchen, which is a program to teach people to do what you're doing, to cook without recipes and to be a cook, you know, somebody who cooks regularly and doesn't waste stuff in their fridge. And like I have lessons on like I literally have a lesson on how to use up. <laughs> like vegetables so they don't go bad in your fridge because it's such a big pain point for people because people feel terrible about wasting food and money. And so they'll use that as a reason why they can't cook because they're like, well, every time I go buy something, it goes bad and I feel bad and I waste money and then I go out anyway. So I just, they give up on the whole thing. And, you know, one of the main lessons of Food is Kitchen is the more you cook, I mean, I give you, I give you, the, the way to do this also, but one, but I did it by default, exactly the way you did. Like, I just learned all these things. Like I'm not, a, I didn't go to culinary school. I didn't like train any in any of this stuff. I figured it out by messing up a bunch and then getting it right. Yeah. I think that's a lot. You know what? I'm much more willing to be like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. Like for example, um, I had half of a celery, a celery root, P.S. A celery root is like a totally new to me vegetable. I I don't actually like real celery, like the <laughs> crunch, the crispy kind. It just I've tried it. It's not for me. Um, but I love celery. It turns out I love celery root. And I had used half of it in something else, and then I had half of it sitting around, and I was like, oh, this is gonna go bad. And then I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll like you know what? Let me try roasting it. I've never roasted celery root before. Like how bad could it be? You know? And so I just. I got a little toe. I, oh, you know what was a pain point for me? Daria, this is actually interesting. I, I live in New York City. I mean, we don't have that much space. I store my pans in my oven. <laughs> and so I got one of those Breville toaster ovens for when I just want to roast a small thing. Ah, brilliant. I had, yeah. a, I had a, another podcast guest who like, this was a major issue for her. <laughs> it was like that she didn't have access to her oven all the time because it was being used for storage. <laughs> so annoying. And also, yeah, she lives in New York. <laughs> totally. But anyway, so I got, I mean, sometimes I, st- and I've tried moving the pans to another place and they always migrate back there. So I generally will take this stuff out, but I don't, I don't want to take it out for like a half a celery root, but I will pop it in my Breville toaster oven. Brilliant. You know, so um, I think I just I think the what happened to me is the more you see stuff going to waste, you're like, but I kept on still buying stuff because I want I liked going to the farmer's market and I liked what I was buying. And then finally, I was like, I don't want to waste this food anymore. I'm just going to figure it. It's good. enough. you know what it was also? It was good enough is better than perfect. Yeah. You know, it's like 
that, by the way, the cel- roasted celery root was good. I don't know. I added it to one of my like bowls that I make. It was like, made, <laughs> you know what I mean? Another thing I do a lot. Right. Like cook- sometimes it won't work out, but like usually it does. Yeah. And worst case scenario, you didn't like something that much and end up throwing it away, which it was going to rot in your fridge anyway. I mean, I can count on like <laughs> my one hand the times I've thrown stuff away because I couldn't eat it. But there have been some times and I'm like, okay, that's a bummer. Yeah. Like, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, you don't have, like, it's okay to be, to mess up. That's, that's a, that's a big limiting belief too. For a lot of people, it's hard to be okay with messing up. Well, yeah. I, and I think it's, it's okay for it just to be good enough. Like a lot of my meals, I mean, I love to cook, but a lot of my meals, they're fine. They're not, (laughs) they're not the best meals you've ever had in your whole life. You know, they're just like good meals or good enough meals or good enough lunches, you know? Right. And sometimes they're amazing. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm exactly the same way, by the way, because I wing it all the time. Right. Like they're not all perfect, but like they're usually pretty darn good. Sometimes I could like surprise everyone in the house. Basically that's me, my (laughs) husband and toaster by making something like exquisite, but you know, sometimes it's just like, well, Yep, that's a little overcooked and kind of mushy, <laughs> and it's okay, I guess. <laughs> like, totally. Sorry, <laughs> it's fine. Um, and we're still going to eat it because that's our only option. Right. Like, it's not, yeah. I think one thing is like I will never order in. I'm so – I became like religious about ordering in. I hate it. I'm like, this is a waste of money. It's not even fun. It's like my husband like, please, can we just order in? And I'm like, no, we can make – egg tacos. <laughs> we can make rice and beans. We can have pasta with sardines. Like I, there's always something I can make. I just like, for me, I'm like, I don't want to waste the money or the calories or just like not feeling good on ordering it. It's just, it doesn't satisfy me. Yeah. That's awesome. So you got the cooking thing down by also being brave. I, I have a question, um, that you mentioned in, when we were communicating about this at the beginning, you, I'm, as as a upcoming new mom, you mentioned that you have been able to prioritize, and we touched on this a little already, but you've been able to prioritize your self-care despite having children. Yes. And it, again, it was like a lot of trial and error for me. And um, so, and you know, again, it shifts as your children shift and as you shift. But um, so- I think for me, you know, obviously when my kids were young, I didn't prioritize it and I really, really paid a price. <laughs> and, um, okay. So there's a cost involved in not. Yes. So that's, that's actually a big realization. Then once I started to, I felt so much better. And so that was, that was like a big win. There was like a big reward for prioritizing my self-care. And then, so that like, particularly like with running or with t- making the time to exercise, like I remember, I'm like a little embarrassed to say this, but I remember I was on vacation and I was pregnant and I had already had my first child and I saw this mom going out for a run and I'm like, oh my God, she's on vacation with her child and she's going out for a run. And now I'm like, I am so that mom who would be on vacation (laughs) with her kids and go out for a run, like good for her. Like, you know what we have, like, if we want to be there for our children, we have have to prioritize taking care of ourselves because I'm just, I'm not a good, I'm not as good of a mom if I don't. And that means some initial pain. So like my kids will say to me, especially my younger daughter, don't go for a run mommy. And I'll be like, this makes me feel so much better. I'm going to go for a run. You know, I'll Mm -hmm. be back, you know? Mm -hmm. And I guess part of the reason why I'm able to do this is I really believe that I need to model for them how to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And how they can take care of themselves. Yeah, I want. I want 
I so want my girls to be able to know how to take care of themselves. We just went full circle. Yeah, totally. And so um, I do the same thing with cooking. I cook. I am the one in my house who cares the most about what I eat. Like I really need to eat food that makes me feel good. It's so important to me. I just, I don't feel good. My body doesn't feel good. We were away on a trip to London recently and I just like, it all went out the window. Like I ate crap. I didn't run. We were so busy and we had a great time, but I came back. I had like canker sores. I felt horrible. I was like, I can't do this. I can't like, this is sign number one for my body. Falling apart. (laughs) I was falling. I was a wreck. I was falling apart and I was like, oh, this is the sign. I had, I needed this reminder. Like I have got, so anyway, so in terms of the food, like I'm the one who cares the most. So I cook for myself first. Now that said, I always put things on the table or think about an alternative that they can eat. So for example, last night I got some shrimp and I had heard about this really good, um, cilantro soy scallion sauce in this woman. Do you know Julia Tertian? Her cookbook is so great. Anyway, I had, I love her cookbook so much. She's awesome, but she's amazing. And it's like, oh, it's all about what we're talking about. Like just trying things, changing things up. Like her philosophy is very similar. So anyway, so I had seen this cilantro recipe, um, scallion recipe, soy recipe that I had really wanted sauce. Oh, sauces are a big thing for me. I always like, I'm super into sauces, sauces that you can add on at the end, like tahini sauce, or, um, I get this sauce, this like olive it's fresh, but it's like chopped up olives, olive oil, and spicy pepper sauce at this, like there's this middle Eastern market. It's so good. If I put a tablespoon of that sauce on anything, it tastes really good. So I'm like always finding ways to just like add easy flavors. Okay. So anyway, I was like, what should I do with these shrimps? And then I was like, I'm going to saute them, make that sauce. And then I had bought this like Chinese mustardy green at the farmer's market. So I sauteed that up. So then I had white rice on the, on our table was white rice and brown rice and shrimp and some veg, some of the green vegetables that I had sauteed and some roasted vegetables that I had done a while ago and this sauce. And also, also some tofu, baked tofu from Trader Joe's. So I ate a mix of all of that. My one daughter, my older daughter ate white rice and shrimp. My younger daughter tried mixing everything together, said she loved it, and then decided she really didn't like it. And so she ate brown rice and I saw, and I scrambled up some eggs for her because that's, I, I don't believe in forcing them to eat stuff. I really, I give, make, I ask them to try things, but I don't want them to eat things they hate. It just, I don't mm-hmm. want, I believe I'm a pig. I was, you know, like I under, I believe in personal taste. Okay. So she ate that. And then my husband ate what I ate. So do you see what I mean? Like, I'm, yeah. it's like, I, so it I, was flexible. I allow for a lot of flexibility, but you don't like most of the time you're not like cooking just mashed potatoes just because that's the only thing they'll eat. I'm never doing that. Okay. I might eat, make a whole meal and then make some pasta on the side because I know they'll eat that maybe in addition to the meal. But I also think there's value in them sitting at a table with a rainbow of foods and foods in mm-hmm. front of them. Mm-hmm. And P.S. like they tried the sauce. My my older daughter used to hate shrimp. Now she really likes shrimp. You know, like it's a moving thing. Cool. Well, that's very, that's very inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like, I really feel like 
I'm, I'm, I need to prioritize. I mean, they eat fine. You know, you know, one daughter doesn't really like vegetables. So, okay, we keep putting them on the table. She can keep trying, but I, I must, I have to, like, I know my body needs that. And Mm -hmm. that's the only way I'm going to be able to be a good mom. And, And I think that what you just said, and you said it earlier, I think this is the key. You know, when it, when, When I talk to parents who find it very difficult to prioritize self-care, the reason is always, well, it's because I have to be a good mom. Prioritizing myself is selfish. And that is a limiting belief because the reality is exactly what you said, that you're a better mom, you're your best mom if you if you are fueled and, and taken care of properly. And it, but I think that, but it's, this is a great example of a limiting belief because I think when people think of self-care and they think it's too hard, it doesn't have to be that hard. (laughs) You know what I mean? They're making it harder than it needs to be because they're holding themselves to some standard, like needing to go to a 90 minute yoga class when there's easier things you can do to get that self-care but you have to figure that out for yourself. And like you said, it's a moving target. Your kids are going to change. You're going to change. Things are going to be moving and you're going to have to figure it out over and over again. But just saying it's selfish <laughs> because you haven't figured it out. And like, that's your rationalization for not taking care of yourself is not the answer. Yeah. And I really understand why they feel that way. Cause there's so much societal pressure. You know, I mean, you already wrote about it, you know, you, you're pregnant and you already feel there's like all this societal pressure to be this certain way and to like put so much energy and effort into your kids. And believe me, I put so much energy and effort into my kids. Sounds like it. (laughs) But still like, actually what I realized is it's like, I'm still really, I don't react as much. If I've gone on a run and somebody like gets upset about something that I think is irrational, I'm much less likely to react in a really strong way than if I haven't gone on a run. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I've eaten well and my body feels good, I'm going to be much calmer and much more able to like really connect with my kids and talk with them and help them through something versus if I'm feeling really crappy because my stomach yeah. hurts or I feel bad about myself or whatever. Yeah, canker sores. <laughs> exactly. I felt so bad. Oh my God, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, and that's really the key. And, and, and it's like, not everyone quite makes that connection. I feel like it's something that you, you know, that, or at least for me, I've evolved over time to understand better the connection between how I care for myself and how I react to, to things. It's not just I eat vegetables and I work out so I can be skinny. I eat vegetables and work out so that I'm not a bitch, <laughs> like, you, know, <laughs> totally. so that, you know, so that I, so I don't feel like I want to just like drink a whole bottle of wine at night, you know, just so I don't feel horrible. So I feel like I can handle this life and this day and my family and like all these things going on, you know, it's, it's important. And, but like, if you, if you live in the grumpy, like the unhealthy grumpy place, you don't know that yet because that's your normal. Totally. Oh my God. And it's a really long process. And I think that sort of leads to, I guess my like the most recent shift for me, which has been, you know, really about mindful eating. Thanks to your challenge. I did the challenge and it was actually really interesting. I'll tell you about it. But, and then also um, I've really been able to, in a, I think in a whole new way, stop moralizing food. And um, it's, it's kind of like been all 
it started, I think it started with the challenge. And I will say the challenge was amazing and I loved it. And it was very eye-opening for me. And it was also really hard in a lot of ways. Like it brought up a lot of emotions and a lot of like, it's, you know, it's really hard when you've spent so much of your life in a challenging relationship with food and hunger to really be there with it. Mm -hmm. And to really like a lot of stuff came up. And I realized actually after the first challenge, like, I need to back off a little. This is this is a lot. There's a lot coming at me right now. And I need to be really kind and gentle with myself and recognize that this is a process for me. Like Awesome. Thank you for sharing that because I know that there are a lot of people that tried the challenge and had that experience and are scared to try again or yeah. to keep going with it. And I'm 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 glad that you brought up how hard it can be because it's totally true. Sitting with your own thoughts in the presence of food if that's a thing for you, that is not a simple, I mean, it sounds easy, but it isn't. No. And like when you're someone who's like had, I think a really questionable relationship at times with hunger, I think for me, one of the things of the challenge and one of the things I do from time to time now, since the challenge is really think to myself, like if I'm really hungry or if I'm like sitting down to food is like, one of the things I realize is like, I, I can feed myself. I will not always feel hungry. I know how to satiate my hunger, but I have to tell myself that sometimes, you know, like I have to really remind myself of that. And it's because obviously when you're someone who has not always given yourself the fuel that you needed or has, you know, felt bad for giving yourself fuel that you needed, that's really weighted and loaded. I'm So you mean... Like, what's the fear there? Like that you will. I don't know. It's it's totally irrational. It's like I'm so hungry. I'm never gonna not feel hungry. Or oh, like I'm that gonna, panic feeling. Yeah. Or just like, um, yeah. Like even if you're not so hungry, of feeling like, will this satiate me? Right. Yeah. Like, can do I know how to satiate myself? Do I know how to feed myself? Hmm. You know, and can I trust that? And I think mm-hmm. that's been like something that I've really been, you know, along with like kind of the compassion that's kind Mm -hmm. of gone hand in hand, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, um, I think your recent pot. So, but all of this to say, all of this, I was doing all of this and I was still moralizing and restricting, even though I knew I was moralizing and restricting and I didn't want to, I could, you know, I would hear you talk Daria and you'd be like, once you stop, you're not going to want it. I was like, I don't know what she's talking about. I know she, I know she believes what she's saying, but I cannot understand at all what, you you know what I mean? I was like, Uh I don't, I'll never get there. Very counterintuitive. I'll never get there. And then some of the recent podcasts have been, were so helpful to me. And it was in one of them. (laughs) This is so funny, but I'm walking down the street. I listen, I love podcasts. I listen to yours and a bunch of others. So I'm always listening to podcasts. I'm walking down the street, I think, listening to, I think it was Rashida, who was so beautiful. Uh, Rashonda, yeah. Rashonda, thank you. And um, I realized, I was like, oh my God, I really like bread. Like, I just do. I like bread. It's okay. I'm going to admit it. Like, I actually think bread is delicious. You like had an epiphany. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm so tired of pretending I don't like bread or just saying I'm not going to ever want to eat bread. Like, cause I would restrict it. Cause I was afraid like bread leads to, you know, weight more gain bread. or more bread or <laughs> yeah. something terrible is going to happen. And, um, so it was funny. Then I was coming home for lunch and I was like, you know what? I'm going to allow myself to eat bread for lunch. And, 
I got home and I had made this fresh batch of, um, I also do a lot of batch cooking, by the way, on weekends. Like I do a ton of batch cooking so that I have like ingredients. We teach that in Foodist Kitchen too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I do that. It's like, I'm always like soaking beans or cooking things. Or, you know, I always have a batches. And I also use like Trader Joe's organic frozen rice, like do that, do those kinds of things that just make your life easier. But the, I'm sorry, this was a total aside from, I'm um, come home and I'm like, I want bread. I'm going to have bread. And then I like saw the delicious chickpeas I had made. And I was like, oh, actually I want a chickpea salad. And so <laughs> I had that, which was fine. But it was so interesting because I was like, wait, you said you could have bread. And then I was like, I don't even really want the bread. And then, so it's been really interesting the last few months to just did your Did your brain explode? <laughs> yes. Because like, I feel like that's exploding. what I tell you that happens. And then you were like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Wait a minute. I'm going to let myself have bread. And then like the second you did that, it was like, no, I'd actually, I just really want chickpeas. <laughs> it, it's like, and I'm still like a few months into playing with this. I'm like, whoa, is this actually happening? Like, have I fallen through the looking glass? Like, is this? And so it's been interesting because I totally got what you were saying where it's like, bread isn't bad. Bad bread is bad. You know what I mean? Like who wants gross bread? But if you want some good bread once in a while, sure. Like eating so much bread is bad because then your stomach's going to hurt or you're not going to feel great. Like it's just made so much sense to me. And so I've been like playing with it and I like the other, so a couple night weeks ago, I was like, I want a grilled cheese. And so normally like I might not have allowed myself to have a grilled cheese, right? But I was like, I really want a grilled cheese with sauerkraut in it. I love grilled cheese with sauerkraut. And um, I had gross bread in my freezer like that Ezekiel bread, you know, because that's the, if you're going to have bread, at least have the sprouted grain bread, right? Worst argument ever. Yes. Okay. So (laughs) I make this grilled cheese and it's gross, Daria. And I'm like, this is so disappointing. I can't even believe I'm having this grilled cheese. And so then I was like, I'm never doing that again. If I'm going to have a grilled cheese, I'm going to get such delicious bread and I'm going to enjoy my grilled cheese. And like the other night I was like, do you want to have a grilled cheese with my husband? And then anyway, it turns out we actually ended up having like a um, California like veggie sandwich, which I also love. I got (laughs) the best, most delicious to me looking bread and toasted it. And I, and it was so good. Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it was like so satisfying. And There was another experience also with bread, funny enough, but there's this place, there's this great bakery in the city and I love, they have this like a muesli bread. And it's something that I have eaten before when I've like been really hungry or emotional, right? And like maybe one won't even be enough for me. I would have two of these rolls. It's not that big of a deal, but it's the bad feeling inside of me because it like brings up old stuff. So anyway, I was starving one night. I had just finished a deadline and I'm walking home and I pass by the bakery and I'm like, I don't, I was like, oh, you know what? I'll get a muesli bread just because I'm starving. And I hate to come home starving because it's like really hard to say hi to my kids and be starving at the same time. Mm -hmm. It just like makes it challenging. And so I got this bread and I'm eating it and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, I wish I was having this bread with delicious cheese or jam. This is so not even satisfying to me. Like I don't even want, like, I don't even want this bread. Like I'm eating it very aware that I'm just eating it so I'm not starving, but it's it didn't feel like I was binging on it or anything. It felt like I do like this bread, but I would like this bread much better if it was toasted and had cheese or jam or I was sitting down and having a cup of tea with it. Like 
it was a total shift versus I need to shut. I think part of what happens for me is I used to eat really fast. You know, my film meal challenge helped with that. Or like if I was like eating for emotion, I would eat really fast because you feel like something's wrong and you feel like it's kind of secret and shameful. Mm -hmm. And this was a totally different experience of that. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. doing that. It was more like, it was so much of what you've talked about, which is like, I just want, I want my treats or the things that I, but, but by the way, they're not even just treats to me because I love my everyday food like that I make, like, right. I loved my shrimp. It was so delicious with all my veggies and brown rice. It was so good. Like I love, I love that food too. But if I'm going to have something that is more like sweet or bready, which of course is like a very nice thing to have too sometimes, I really get now like I want it to be, I want it to feel like, I want it to be a nice, enjoyable, I want to enjoy it. it to be worth it. I want to enjoy it is basically what it comes down to. I don't want to feel bad about it. I don't want to do it in secret. I don't want to shove it into my mouth because I feel like I'm doing something wrong. I don't want to have to feel bad about it after. I want to just enjoy it. Right. That's so great. And like, this is the, this is the key. It's like, people think like, well, if I let myself have a donut, then I'll just eat donuts all day. It's like, no, you won't. (laughs) And this is exactly why you won't just eat bread all day because you won't want to, like, if everything else is good, like if, if the, if the healthy food in your life is delicious also, and if you, you feel balanced and you aren't goal driven in some like neurotic way, and you're like, you have everything else in line, you will approach indulgent foods appropriately because it's the only thing you want. (laughs) Like you just, you don't want it to be inappropriate anymore. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. And it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. And you remember like we've, I've had enough experience not approaching it appropriately and it does not feel good. I don't, it doesn't feel good in my stomach. It doesn't feel good in my brain. Like I, I have that muscle memory. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's been a real, that's been like the latest and I am still like, you know, and it's still like, there's still areas for progress and I'm still like, even with the weight, I'm like, go back and forth. Do I need to lose five pounds? Maybe I don't, maybe I do. Like, why would I like, or even that, like, you know, and I'm, I'm a perfectly fine weight right now, but like we, this stuff is so ingrained for so long that getting rid of it and going through it, it's, it's a process. And that's what I, going back again, full circle to the beginning of our conversation, just realizing like, it's okay. It's okay. I, I, I do trust the process now. Yeah. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing your story. I mean, like your journey, I mean, it sounds like mine. (laughs) I mean, mine is, I have, you know, I'm doing the kid thing now, but, um, the, the, the way it looks, you know, and, and anybody who's been following Summer Tomato from the beginning, I didn't have this mindfulness stuff down at all when I started. Like, yeah. I just, this is recent for me in the last three, four years. So, that, yeah, exactly. Like, you, like there, there's some point where you have to sort of accept where you are and accept that it's going to keep getting better and changing as long as you're working on it. And it's not going to be like a linear line to success and then you hit the prize and everything is fireworks and, and unicorns. Um, but it, this is exactly what it looks like. Right. It looks like one thing at a time, breaking down one limiting belief at a time, doing little experiments, building confidence in the process. And at some point realizing that that's, that's just your life. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I guess I just, yeah, t- totally. I think sometimes when I hear the success stories, 
on the podcast and not not through any fault of the success story or you, but I'm like, oh my God, they have it all figured out. And it's like, I just want to say, I don't have it all figured out. I'm still figuring it out. I just don't want to make anybody feel like she has it all figured out. You know, like it's, it, I, what, and like, there's sometimes when I'm like, I can't, I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I get doubtful from time to time. And I, you know, I have, you know, I have flare ups and all of that stuff. It's just, I would say in terms of where I began, certainly in terms of that young girl who suffered so much, if you had told her you're going to one day like cook all delicious foods and have a regular exercise routine and really feel like you know how to take care of yourself and practice mindfulness as much as you can, like I like that, I don't know if she would have ever believed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a really excellent point. Like it's, this happens a lot too. Like when, when I talk to success stories, it's like, however you think you're going to get there, like, like it doesn't look like that. Like, you know, like we've been sold some sort of vision on what six, like health success looks like. Like you're this super slightly sweaty, muscly, like shimmering person in the gym and a crop top. And like, you're like drinking green juice. And like, that's not what it looks like. (laughs) Like that's not real. Um, real is, slowly learning to cook, getting better at it and not wasting as many vegetables, figuring out your workout routine, changing all of that when you have kids, you know, figuring out what your own psychological issues with food are when you deal with mindfulness and like learning how to come to terms with your relationship with food and both healthy foods and unhealthy or health, less healthy foods, indulgent foods. And it's like one foot in front of the other. (laughs) It never stops. Like you're just on a journey. Thank you so much for sharing all this, Leslie. Um, It's, it's, it's really cool. And I, I I do definitely see a theme that you sort of applied the same approach to just different parts of your life. It's so funny because I didn't even realize I was doing it, but thank you so much, Daria, because I've loved the summer tomato has been a great haven for me and resource for me. And I've, definitely go back to it again and again on this journey. And it like, it really boosted it for me and also made me feel less alone. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Foodist Podcast. I'm Daria Rose. And if you're interested in upgrading your own health style, learning how to get healthy and lose weight without dieting and without all of the suffering that it brings, then head over to my website, Summer Tomato, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. When you sign up, you'll get a free starter kit that'll teach you the basics of how to start changing the way you think about food, health, and weight loss. You'll also get a free chapter from my book, Foodist, called The Myth of Willpower, that explains the science behind why the no pain, no gain mantra of the weight loss industry is the absolute worst approach to getting healthy. So come over to Summer Tomato and sign up. We have a fantastic community and we would love, love, love to have you. Thanks for listening and I will see you next time.